Luke chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 5, we're going to make it through verse 13. We are continuing the lesson from last week as Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray. If you remember, one of the disciples who was unnamed came to, to Jesus after he got done praying, which was his normal thing to do. And Jesus, although he is God, was praying to God the Father. We see this happening all throughout Jesus' life, all throughout the Gospels. This was nothing new. And so they come up to him and they say, teach us to pray. And so he said to them, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so, Jesus was not giving us a thing that we were to say verbatim over and over again, uh, because there's, there's nothing to that. It's just vain repetition, as Jesus would say. Um, but Jesus was giving us a recipe for prayer, and how we are to approach prayer, and what, what we're to focus on. And one of the very first things that he says in his prayer is, Our Father in heaven. And we talked about this, that there were seven different things that we looked at in regards to this recipe for prayer. Again, we're going to continue this thought and uh, how we should pray in, the, in these verses, in verses 5 through 13. But one of the things that I wanted to bring up really quick was how Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. And I, and I only say this because I watched a video that, was, uh, that just came out from a church on Mother's Day. And I felt necessary to say this because of the time and the age that we're living in, that this is something that's not an anomaly. It's not something that is unique. It's not something that's just a one-time thing. This is the progressive movement within the church that you guys need to be aware of that is incorrect and it's not right. Now, there's, there's really, there's nothing new, right? Everything that we need to know is contained within scripture. We don't need to change it. We don't need to add to it. All 66 books are sufficient. Every single word is, is sufficient. It, it shows us exactly what we need to know about God. And also at the same time, as it shows us about who God is, it in turn shows us who we are in comparison, which obviously we know is, is not good. We're sinners, right? But we also see the, the love and the value that God has for us in the midst of all of scripture. But as I watch this video, it happened to be on Mother's Day, a Mother's Day service of a church in Texas. I don't know which one it is. And again, I'm bringing this up because it's, it's relevant in the times that we're living in. And so because it was Mother's Day, they changed their work. They did a couple worship songs. They did um, Good, Good Father, right? Usually that's played on Father's Day. You guys know that song? You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. I'd sing it, but it sounded bad. Um, they changed it to You're a Good, Good Mother. Um, they changed a couple other songs that I can't remember what it was, um, but it was changed to, instead of saying father, it said mother. They even read the same exact passage that we just read last week and today, where Jesus says our father in heaven, they changed it to our mother in heaven. Um, they changed a couple other things, like Psalm chapter 23, uh, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he leads me beside still waters, right? They changed all those male pronouns to female, and so they changed it to, she leads me beside still waters, she restores my soul, she, 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 and it was this whole thing that coincided with Mother's Day, and I don't know what the reasoning was, I, I couldn't follow it because it was nonsense, to be honest, um, but I bring this up because when it comes to, when it, in the scripture, when it comes to God, 
God is always in the masculine pronoun. But I want you to understand this, too, that, that God is, is, is spirit, okay? That he is not confined to, uh, he transcends gender, okay? Because he's God. You know, like, we are created beings by God. And so, yes, when he created these beings, us, we are male and female. But for him, he transcends gender. He transcends race. Now, obviously, when Jesus was born as a human, he was born male, correct? But every time that we see God in scripture, it's always referring to him as he or him or father. Every single time. And so, I don't know why. Well, actually, I do know why. But God reveals us he reveals him to us in the male and the masculine pronoun in the, uh, however you want to put that, the, the imagery of God, it's, it's masculine, okay? It's father, it's he, it's him. Um, he does not refer to himself in gender neutral terms. He uses masculine terms. And remember that he is spirit. He is not male in the sense of that we see as, as humans on earth. And so he purposely reveals himself as such and we are not to change it to mother or female or her or she there are times and i think there's one verse that somebody could take out of context where it ref- it's it's a simile where it refers to god as being like a mother who protects his chickens or whatever they're called babies right but it's a simile right it's it's like that just shows how god is that he's he's loving and he's caring like a mother right uh, but again, all throughout scripture, God is referred to as father, okay? And you will, I'm sure at some point in time in your lives that you will come across this, you will be challenged with it, that somebody will say, you know, God is, is gender neutral, that God is female, that God is, you know, it's mother God, not father God. And don't listen to that nonsense. It's, it's stupid, okay? It is. So God, Jesus prays to God and refers to him as father, right? Our Father in heaven. And so he teaches the disciples how to pray. And as we get into verses 5 through 13, it's going to be structured like a parable told by Jesus. He uses an extended simile in expressing and making a comparison using a common event in the first century life. A little bit different than we're used to because culturally we do things differently. But if we kind of talk about and explain you know, how the first century was and and what they did, what Jesus says is going to make a little bit more sense. And so what he's going to do is he's going to emphasize the importance of prayer, okay, as we continue the same thought that he had last week in teaching us the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. And so Luke, as we know, from the very beginning, his purpose of this gospel was to do what? We saw this in verses 1 through 4. To bring an orderly account of all that Jesus did and taught. Remember that? He was almost like this historian of interviewing these eyewitnesses and and seeing what happened and transpired and bringing us a a real account of all the things that Jesus did and all the things that Jesus taught. And so one of these things that Luke is going to bring to account for us in an orderly fashion is what Jesus taught about prayer and how prayer, again, is so important for us. Now, Obviously, we see Jesus being the example of prayer, right? All throughout Scripture doing that. And so if Jesus were to pray, how much more should we pray? And so we're going to see that. And throughout his gospel, Luke stresses the importance of prayer by recording his teachings, 
Jesus' parables and exhortations to pray. And the first half of what we're going to look at today is this parable, again, that's going to drive home the importance of praying. And as we pray, to be persistent in our prayer. Because I'm sure if we were, you know, to go around this room and and see our prayer life, that a, a vast majority of us are not, either we don't pray at all, or when we do pray, we lack persistency or or passion, or even uh, honesty in our prayers. And so Jesus is going to show us that there is this persistence that needs to, be, that needs to happen. Because when we, when we want something, when we, are, when we desire something, when we need something outside of the spiritual, we're, we're pretty, like, persistent about it, right? I, I, I mean, I think so. From what I see in my life, what I see in others' life, like, uh, I'll give you an example of my brother. I can use him because he's not here today. He's not here ever, but uh, anytime he wants something, he will continually, continually, and I don't know if anyone else is like this, but he will ask and ask and ask, and he will not take no for an answer to the point where it's like, it's, it's dumb. It's like, I want to I slap him because I'm like, dude, it's no. But almost like sometimes he gets his way because it's like he wears my parents down to the point they're like, fine, yeah, whatever, just whatever you want, right? Now, when we look at Scripture today in regards to our persistence in praying, it's not that we're wearing God down, okay? Like, that, that's not the example here. But I'm just trying to give you the example that sometimes we, we can be really persistent in things that don't truly, really matter. You know, like wanting the new iPhone or allowing our, allowing our parents to let us go somewhere, you know, to a friend's house or something, and, and consistently and persistently asking to do those things. And so Jesus is going to give us this example of persistent prayer, okay, through this parable in the first half. In the second half, he's going to amplify and teach uh, us to, to seek, to ask, seek, and knock when it comes to our prayers. So let's start in verse 5. Let's pray, and we'll begin. So Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you would teach us, Lord, to pray. Lord, that we would be people who pray often. Lord, people that would pray according to your will. Lord, that we would be persistent in our prayers. Lord, that we would be people who would be completely trusting in, in what we need when it comes to you. Lord, allow us to, uh, to just be in that position, Lord. And so we thank you, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 5, it says, And he said to them, Speaking of Jesus, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, do not trouble me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, Yet because of his persistence, and that's the key word in the entirety of this parable, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So Jesus gives them this this parable in regards to prayer to show the importance of persistence. And, And as he says this, this makes sense to them because of culturally how they, they did things. They were very hospitable people. Um, the way that they slept, it was... Uh, and I'll get into this. It was they, they, they slept almost in the same room, so it was kind of hard to 
to navigate, or if somebody were to come to the door, you'd almost wake up everyone. Uh, nowadays, everyone's got their own, you know, part of the house. Um, but Jesus starts off by saying, which of you? And this can be translated like, can you imagine, okay? So he, he almost says it like this. Can you imagine, you know, having a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him such and such thing, okay? Can, can you imagine this? Because he's, he's looking for a, a, an answer that says no, right? And so Jesus uses this phrase not just here, but he uses it several times throughout the Gospels. And so he speaks of this friend, right, who comes to another friend who happens to be his neighbor. He comes to him at midnight, okay? Midnight was, it, it, I don't know if it was exactly 12 a.m., but the idea was that it was very late at night. It was dark, and everyone's sleeping. So it was, it was late. And so he simply comes to him in the middle of the night, and now in the Middle East, it wasn't, it was very common for somebody to travel at night because it's stinking hot out, right? It's kind of like when people mow their lawns here, they usually mow in the, in the morning or the evening because in the middle of the day, I mean, you're going to die. You're going to be roasting. And so what they would do is they would travel at night when it wasn't as hot out. So this isn't uncommon for this friend being on this journey and this, this guy coming to him. But... When this friend is traveling and he's coming to his other friend, this friend is not ready. He's not prepared. Okay? He doesn't have what he needs to be hospitable to this friend. He doesn't have any bread. Because bread was kind of like the main thing when it came to hosting someone. Um, have you guys ever eaten at a, uh, like a Greek restaurant? Right? It's like always centered around bread. You, everyone gets their own bread. You tear up the bread. You dip it in the oils. You eat the meat. You, like It's all bread, right? Bread is basically the fork that we have in America, and then you get to eat the fork because it's bread. It's amazing. And so this man didn't have any bread. He needed the bread, so he goes to his neighbor, right? It's really late at night, okay? This wasn't strange that this man would show up in the middle of the night, but he does. And so there's this unnamed traveler, right, this guest, but he's really not the focus of this parable. The focus is on the other two the one who is the host, right, and the one who is asleep. And so these are the two that we're going to focus on. These are the two that Jesus wants us to focus on. The host here represents those who come to God in prayer, right? Because, again, if we read this contextually, it's all about prayer. Jesus starts off with prayer in the beginning of the chapter, and he even ends with it. And so the host represents, again, those of us who come to God in prayer, and the one asleep is meant to be a picture of God. Now, Again, it's a parable. It's not meant to explain exactly how God is, like that God's asleep, we've got to wake him up. That's, that's, that's not the point here, okay? But it is a picture of God, the one who we bring our requests, our petitions, our prayers to. So the friend comes and he says, lend me three loaves. Again, this had to do with hospitality. In, in the Middle East, hospitality was everything. He says to him, a friend of mine, has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. So again, in that day, it was very custom for a whole family that lived together. They lived in a one-room house. And so they would all sleep together, and there was no way that this man would come to the door without disturbing the whole household. And so he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to get up. Like, for me, 
I wouldn't get up. Like, I probably wouldn't wake up. You guys hear the storm that came through, like, what was it, two nights ago? Yeah. You're like me, Ezra. I had no idea. Whitney's like, did you hear that? It was like 80-mile-an-hour winds. I'm like, no, I had no idea. Then I went outside, and everything was, like, torn up. So I probably won't even wake up if somebody came to me at midnight. But this man does wake up. He's not willing to get up, even though he's his friend, but he also doesn't want to get up because his children are with him in bed. He says, I cannot rise and give to you. Now, you might think that this man has a pretty good point, right? That he doesn't want to wake up his family. Maybe he's had a long day at work, right? He's exhausted. He's tired. Maybe it took forever to get the kids to sleep. When you guys are parents, that'll be the first thing that you, you realize is that sleep is the one of the most valuable things that we can have, right? And so he's not about to wake up his kids. He's not going to wake them up. And so Jesus is saying, in a sense, can you imagine this scenario where a man would be sleeping who would actually turn the host away and blame it on the sleeping kids? And the obvious answer would be no, because it would make sense for this man to just simply get up and give him what this man needs. And eventually, that's what we're going to see that's, that's going to happen. But it's only going to happen through this man's persistence. And so Jesus says in verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. And so this man doesn't technically get up because he's his friend, but he says that the real reason he's going to get up is based on the persistence of the man outside. And so this, this word persistence, uh, it also it's translated importunity. Uh, it means shamelessness, impudence. Uh, it has to do with basically having no shame, right? Um, and so in the sense of continuing to obtain without any shame. Because usually it's what's shame that will, that will stop us from doing something or being persistent in something, right? For instance, um, I can think of like, uh, remember when the four friends brought um, their paralytic friend to Jesus? And they came and they brought him and they saw that it was completely crowded and they couldn't make their way to Jesus. You know, most of us will probably stop and be like, no, you know, let's turn around. It's, we don't want to bother them. There's no way to get in but yet they were persistent in getting their friend to Jesus, and what they did was they came up with another way to get to him was to go through the roof, right, which is thinking outside the box to get inside the box. Um, and then there was the man who was blind, uh, yelling out for Jesus uh, that he would heal him. And remember, there was a few times where the disciples would tell people to basically, like, to stop or to be quiet. Uh, even this, this one specific time, they, they told him to be quiet, and he, he, the Bible tells us that he yelled even louder, even more. And uh, he was just persistent in it. And eventually Jesus healed him. And it's not that Jesus or God does these things out of annoyance because we finally annoyed the heck out of him, right? And it was like, fine, gosh, goodness. I'll do what you, you're asking me to do. One of the things that we need to understand is, is this is in context, right? As we're understanding this is about prayer. But if we go even more in context, one of the things that we see in verse 2, he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. So remember, as we're praying, and as we're persistent in our prayers towards God, 
it's in the context of his will being done, right? And so when he answers these prayers, it's not out of annoyance or exhaustion or giving us exactly what we want, and it goes against what he wants. Really what happens is through this persistence of prayer and through this, this petitioning that we have, it's not a matter of changing God, but what happens is that we become changed. It's, it's through this, this fighting, it's through this, this patience, it's through this, this shameless persistence that God will eventually change our hearts to exactly his will, right? And he is faithful to answer us and to give us exactly what we need, especially when it lines up with his will. And that's what he wants to do. Like, God is a God who wants to give us good things, right? God wants to give us what we need, but sometimes, again, we need to be changed first. You know, sometimes he's, he maybe he's trying to teach us something, that we, we be patient on him, that we trust him, you know, it, that we really, if we really want something, that we would be persistent in asking for it, and that allows us to, to trust in him. And so he says to be persistent, and this is the only place in the entire New Testament that this word is used. Isn't that interesting? To be persistent in our prayers. So he says again in verse 8, I say to you, though he will rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give to him as many as he needs. This man was bold. He was shameless in asking his friend in the middle of the night. He really wanted and he really needed the bread. And God often waits for our passionate persistence in prayer. Again, it's not that God is reluctant or he needs to be, pers- be persuaded, but again, it's our persistence that changes us and develops within us a heart and a passion for what God wants. You know, and if, and if I think of my own life, because I can't speak for you, because I don't know how, what your prayer life looks like, but I know when it comes to my prayer, sometimes my, my prayers can be passionless, it can be very uh, direct, it can be sometimes that's just... I guess being direct is not a bad thing, but in the sense of it's a one-time thing um, that I just expect God to answer in that time. I want it done quickly. And what, what it does is it doesn't, it's, it's empty, right? And that's what I noticed for me, that, that sometimes it's empty, that I'm not really going to God as my father. I'm going to him as more of a, a genie. And that's not what God wants from us because he, he wants a relationship, right? And so there, there has to be this bond, this intimacy, and sometimes that can happen through our persistence with God. And thankfully, I'm, I'm glad that God doesn't just answer our prayers like that, right? Because it allows us to be intimate with him, to, to grow closer to him, to develop a prayer life that becomes, you know, passionate. And I think that's what God wants because he cares about us and he wants us to be connected with him. And so these prayers that can be passionless, you know, over time that God would make them, you know, continuous and, and passionate and persistent because we keep asking and asking and asking. And so these prayers, I think they can turn from like a quick wish to an actual deep dependence and trust in God. You know, because too many times it becomes this, this quick wish, right? And then, and then we blame God for not answering our prayers. And God's like, no, like, I'm, I don't want you to just treat me as, you know, a lamp and you got to rub it three times and you get what you want type thing. You know, I'm, I'm not Shazam. I'm a God who is personal and intimate. And I want you to be passionate and persistent and come to me t- 
to learn how to be patient and to trust in me. And so we're to approach God with this perpetual persistence, as we see. I mean, that's one of the things that he tells us here, to be persistent. It's, again, it has to be shameless, right? Because we, we know that God is faithful to give us what we need. And so we go to him shamelessly. And also because he's a loving father who provides exactly what we need. We've got to be like a child who persists in their questioning until they receive an answer, just like my brother. Right? Or you see this with your siblings. They continually persist and persist and ask and ask and ask. And thankfully, God doesn't answer us in frustration or annoyance because what he wants is he wants us to trust in him and to wait on him. And so he says in verse 9, So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children— how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And again, Jesus is, is asking these rhetorical questions that are an obvious no. Like, obviously, a father, if they love their child, if the child asks for a snack, is not going to give them a, a, a rock, right? Like, because I don't even have to explain that. That you already makes sense, right? Jesus is giving these, these examples, these extreme examples. And then he says, look, if you, Jeffrey, as, as an evil man, right? That's how he describes me. Where does he say it? In verse 13. If you then being evil, right? And I, I, I'm not going to argue that because I know I am. He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, which he's right, I do. He says, how much more will your heavenly father? So we see this contrast that our heavenly father Compared to an earthly father like me, I'm evil. God is not. He's good, he's holy, and he's just. If I can give a somewhat decent and good gift to the child that I love, how much more can the one who is God and has no evil in him, who is good, perfect, just, and holy, give to his children? How much, more, how much, how much better, right? Those good gifts that, that God wants to give us. I mean, it's amazing. And then, he's, and then he doesn't even say, like, good gifts, per se. He says, a good gift, which is what? The Holy Spirit, right? That is the, the gift that we can receive from the Father, which is better than any other gift that we could ever ask for or receive. But because he is a good heavenly Father, he can do such a thing. But the first thing he says to us in verse 9 is that we must ask, seek, and knock. He says, if we ask, it will be given to you. If we seek, it will, you will find. And if you knock, it will be opened to you. And these three verbs here are all in the present tense, indicating that this is something that is a continuous action, right? Not just a, I asked one time, right? I sought one time. I knocked one time. No, I continually ask. I continually seek. I continually knock. Again, it coincides and it continues with this idea of persistence, that we're persistent, persistent in going to God and seeking him in our prayer. And so there's going to be times 
where we're tempted to quit praying for something uh, because we're afraid we're wasting our time or that God will never answer or that we're wasting his time. But those are the times where we need to be encouraged to continue to keep asking. In Matthew 15, turn there really quick. Matthew 15, this is a good example. There's a Gentile Canaanite woman. She did this. She did not quit. She was persistent. And too many times we we give up too early and we miss out on things because we give up. And so she goes to Jesus and she intercedes and she goes on behalf of her daughter who is being tormented by a demon. And starting in verse 22, it says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. And I'm sure that in this, in this moment, this mother is desperate, right? And sometimes that's the only time we go to God in prayer is when we feel like we're desperate and we truly need something. And so she does, and she intercedes for her daughter. But it says in verse 23 that Jesus answered her not a word. I don't know if there's a more relatable verse in the Bible than this one, right? How many times have we prayed and we feel like that, that Jesus answered us not a word? And so his disciples came and they urged him, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. And now that can be taken one of two ways. Either the disciples were like, dude, just, just you know, cast her away because she's annoying. Or it was more of a, Lord, just, just answer her prayer and let her be gone. But he answered and he says this in verse 24, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So his mission, as we know, was for Israel. And as a byproduct, it was also for the Gentiles. And she knows this and she came and she worshiped him. She didn't stop, remember? So when he didn't say a word, she didn't stop. When he said, you know, I I came here for the house of Israel, she didn't stop. She came and she worshiped and he said, Lord, help me. But then he answered again and he said, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to, to the little dogs, to the little dogs. I don't have time to explain all this, but in essence, he was referring to her as the little dogs. And this isn't something that's mean Again, I don't have time to explain this. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. And she doesn't even argue the fact that that Jesus referred to her as one of the little dogs because she knows. But she says, look, even the little dogs eat of the crumbs, eat of the things that that the master, that the children don't, don't receive or didn't get. And Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So Jesus did not immediately give her an encouraging reply. He didn't even reply to her to begin with, right? But through her persistence, it was revealed that she had a faith-filled response to Jesus. And Jesus rewarded her for her faith. And she demonstrates her faith by her continual asking and not giving up that that when she prayed, well, she didn't pray, but she came to Jesus, right? In essence, it's when we pray that we don't give up in what we're seeking. And again, if it's in line with God's will, God will give it to us. So verse 10, go back to Luke. 
Jesus says, for everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, to him who knocks, it will be open. Again, just as a reminder, this is in context with your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is all about being in the will of God as we ask for prayer. You know, if you, if you go and you ask for something that you want outside of God's will, it's, it's not going to come to pass. So 1 John 5, 14 through 15 says, Now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So if we're persistent in asking for the things that God wants, we'll see it happen. And one of the things I like about this Ask, Seek, and Knock is that it actually makes its own acronym, A-S-K, Ask, Seek, Knock, Ask, right? So the first thing we're to do is ask. Did you know that the very first, how do I explain this? The very first step in prayer, do you know what it is? To pray. Isn't that nuts? That's groundbreaking right there. Do you know how many times that we talk about praying, but we don't pray? The very first step in prayer is to pray. And Jesus says this. He says to ask. That's the very first thing we're to do is to ask. And asking is hard. I don't know if you, you know, you guys have had to ask your parents for certain things. And one of the things that we come to find out is asking makes us vulnerable, right? Because we're dependent upon the answer of the person that we're, we're asking, and I think that's the reason that we're to come to Jesus and ask, because we then are vulnerable, but we're dependent upon Jesus and his answer. Because there's nothing else I can do but wait upon him. And so one of the things, too, that I, I want to point out before we even go any further is that before we even ask, we need to keep in mind, is there anything in us that is not of him? Is there any sin in us? Because you might be sitting here today thinking, you know, I ask God for all these things, and maybe I'm, I'm really persistent. But you know what? If we don't deal with the sin that's in our life, then that hinders our prayers. It really does. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2 says this. It even hinders the prayers of a husband in regards to, yeah, in regards to a husband if there's sin in his life. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2, it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. But remember that we can go before him and seek forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 reminds us that he's faithful to, to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? And so if, if we haven't dealt with that, then everything that we're learning today and last week it, it, it means nothing. So we need to go before, and, and again, this isn't like a, a catholic thing where we need to confess every single sin and every single fault in us and every single, you know, action that we've done that's sinful because you can't remember them all. But remember, it's always the heart behind it. And so if, if there is sin in our life and our hearts that we can't, and God can reveal the things that we don't realize either, but we can go before him and seek the forgiveness that we need and he'll forgive us. Then we can go before him, we can ask, and we can ask and we can pray. And if we never ask, you will never be answered. Remember, step one, pray. Step one is to ask. 
you never ask, you'll never be answered. Right? James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. Right? You have not because you ask not. I mean, that's pretty simple to understand. So first, we ask. Second, we seek. And seeking has to do with, with finding or obtaining, right? Hide and seek. It's also an action that's persistent. It doesn't stop until you receive or find the thing that you're trying to obtain. There's always a strong desire that's attached to it. You'll do anything by all means to get that desired object or outcome or achievement or whatever it may be, right? You will continually seek and seek and seek. And he says the third thing we must do is knock. And knocking is interesting because it has this idea of resistance, right? But also has an idea of opening, correct? Like, so when you knock on something, you don't typically knock on a wall to try to get in, right? What do you knock on? A door, right? Because the door is more than likely shut because if it wasn't shut, you'd probably walk right in. So the door's shut, right? And you only knock on a door. You don't knock on a wall knowing that the door is closed, yet it can also be opened. And so what this does is as we knock, we are allowing the Lord to open these doors for us to go, to go through. But also at the same time, we have to wait for that door to be opened, right? And so this knocking, it builds, I believe, this, this patience in us and this dependence upon God. Philippians 4, 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, that we're to knock because it builds patience, it builds trust. We're not to be anxious as we do it, but to bring it before God. And again, knocking allows us to go through the right door because it'll be God who opens up that door. And too many times we try to, we try to make our own doors and make our own paths, and eventually what happens is, you know, God will let us go, right, but we'll hurt ourselves along the way, and then we'll realize, God, I shouldn't have done that. And he's faithful to, 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 you know, put us and set us on the right path. So, knocking is good. Have you ever, you ever walked through the wrong door? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, when I was like 12, my sister was born. And this is at Wake Med and Carrie. And our pastor came to stop by. My dad was super jazzed and pumped. And he was excited to, to, show our pastor his new daughter and so he was guiding him and he walked into a room and uh (laughs) it was really funny he walked into a room and immediately i just heard this really loud feminine scream it wasn't my dad it was a woman and uh he literally walked into the wrong room and walked into like a lady like giving birth or something and uh, I was like, dude, you should have knocked. Or you should have at least checked what door you were walking through. But, uh, yeah, walking through the wrong door can, uh, can have its consequences. So Jesus continues, and he says in verse 11, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Now, obviously, again, these are rhetorical. This would be, you know, like the, we know that a, a a good father that loves his child would not do these things, right? Um, have you guys ever seen those Jimmy Kimmel pranks that he asked parents to do? Some of you have seen those. So he'll, you don't need to say, huh? So Jimmy Kimmel, late night TV host, 
he asked parents to give their kids on Christmas a really bad present and to record their reaction. I don't know if you've seen those. They're really funny. And so usually you get like some really bad reactions. And one time a parent gave their kid an avocado. It was a banana or an avocado? I can't remember. And the kid, when he opened it up, he was so excited. <laughs> He's like, thanks for the avocado, right? But that's only through pranks. Like a, a true father would not do that, right? So, again, Jesus describes us as earthly fathers, as those being evil, right? We are sinful. We are fallen. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, yet we can still give good gifts. And then he says, well, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus is arguing from the lesser to the greater, right? If I, as a sinful dad, know how to give a decent gift to my own kid, Again, how much more would God know how to give? And God is a good, good father. He's our heavenly father. And when Jesus was teaching on the prayer, on prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, we see this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. I'll read it to you. He ended his teaching a little bit differently than this. He says, If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And James even writes on this in verse 17 of chapter 1. He says, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Paul even mentions it. I think you guys have heard this verse before. Romans 8.28 And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. God is good, and he gives good gifts. He does not give bad gifts. And he gives us gifts that we may not think as good, but he knows that they are good. And his good is better than our good, right? Because sometimes the good that we think that we need is not always good. God is sovereign, and he is good. So again, to be persistent in our prayers, and our persistence doesn't change God's mind, doesn't change anything about God. God is unchanging. That's one of his qualities. But it's about changing us and us conforming to a place where he can trust us with the answer that he gives us. And so one of the things that I like that differs from Matthew chapter 7, verse 11, is that Jesus doesn't generalize giving us good gifts, but a good gift in regards to the Holy Spirit. And if we ask of the Holy Spirit, he gives him to us. And if, and if you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking the Holy Spirit's not a good gift, then you, you don't know the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what connects us to God, right? The Holy Spirit is what allows us to understand the things of God, right? We see that in Corinthians where it talks about who knows the things of man except for the spirit of man, and who knows the things of God except for the Spirit of God, yet you've been given the Spirit of God, right? Before Jesus ascended to heaven, he says to his disciples that, that you know, I will not leave you as orphans, right? I will, I will send you a helper, right? I'll send you a teacher, and that is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit himself provides us gifts, right? We talk about those things, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is a gift that continually keeps on giving, and there's no other gift that is better than that. And so God provides us, our Heavenly Father provides us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So when it comes to prayer, 
First, recognize that there's sin, confess, repent, turn from it. And then two, ask, seek, and knock. And with that, we're to be persistent. And God is faithful to answer us if it's all in the context of his will. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that we even have the capability of coming before your throne. Lord, that we can come to you in boldness, but we can also come to you in reverence and knowing that you are holy and you are perfect. But you're also a loving Father. And Lord, for whatever prayers that we come to you before, whether it's big or it's little, that you care because it comes from us. Lord, I thank you for answering our prayers. I thank you for not answering our prayers. Lord, for teaching us to be persistent, for teaching us to be patient, for teaching us to trust and depend upon you. And Lord, I'm thankful that you're faithful to provide exactly what we need. Lord, that you don't always give us exactly what we want. Lord, that you know exactly what's best for us. And so, Lord, I know that can be hard. That can be something that we need to learn through experience. But I thank you that you're a God that, that doesn't give up on us and that cares about us. So we just, we thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.